Lithium-ion batteries are all the rage in RV electrical systems, and they're only going to grow more and more market penetration. But did you know that not all lithium-ion battery technologies are the same? In fact, they're very, very different. This week, Jack Johnson from Volta Power Systems is going to talk to us about lithium-ion technology and what the future holds. That and a whole lot more on the RV Miles podcast. RV Miles is sponsored by L.L. Bean, dedicated to helping you experience all the benefits of time outside and stay more comfortable while you're out there. From soft and breathable activewear designed to do it all, to just right layers perfect for changing weather, to sun-smart clothing that blocks the sun's harmful rays, every L.L. Bean product is made with comfortable time outside in mind. Visit LLBean.com to shop now. L.L. Bean, be an outsider. Welcome to episode 189 of RV Miles. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby. And we are two full-time travelers who, along with our boys, Jack, Ethan, and Henry, are crisscrossing North America on one epic road trip. Each week, we talk all things RV and outdoors, from travel destinations to gear, industry news, our national parks, and a whole lot more. We have a really interesting interview with Jack Johnson from Volta Power Systems coming up today. And it's actually a two-part interview. We're going to put half of it on this week and half of it on next week because I just really enjoyed my uh, conversation with Jack. So this week, we're going to talk a lot about lithium-ion batteries. And, uh, uh, you know, it's something that we're thinking about as we're looking to upgrade our RV and do a little bit more boondocking to get away from the campgrounds because we're having a hard time booking the campgrounds right now. I was going to say, it's not because we're trying to get away from them. It's because we can't get in them. They don't want us. They don't want us. I'm also concerned though, because we can't get into them that we're also not going to be able to get into some of these boondocking sites that we're interested in, especially as we look towards Zion for the fall. Well, look, as we continue uh, to camp this year, we'll, keep you all apprised of, of what's going on out there of course or as we continue to mooch dock but uh, that might end up happening <laughs> uh, if you're looking for your very favorite nicest campgrounds near the really cool spots uh good luck getting weekends right now that's the that's the big thing it is what it is and I'm almost to the point where I feel like maybe we need to stop talking about it because I There is this part of me that feels like it gives a negative narrative to what's happening. And look, it'll work out. We'll find spots and we'll go there. Yes. And that's that's kind of what we've always done is. Yeah. We just go where the spots are. Yeah. And we then don't... we find the stuff around it, right? We, we don't go where the things are and yeah. then find the spot. We go where the spot is and then find the stuff. That's probably why we've never been to the Northeast or the Pacific Northwest. Exactly. Because we wait too long to try to go there. Exactly. We barely made it to Yellowstone. Yeah. Or Florida. We've never been to Florida really either. Well, speaking of campgrounds, I wanted to kick off the show with something, a question about campground reservations. We had a question in the Facebook group about when a campground charges an additional fee for reserving a specific site something you're going to see more and more i've been seeing it a bit and it's always private campgrounds but sometimes campgrounds are booking you into random site you don't get to select your site and you can now pay additional to select a specific site so somebody was wondering what that's all about and is that just sort of a a money-making scheme from campground owners. Yes. And you and I had very different opinions on this as we were talking about it actually right before we started filming, which required me to walk away. <laughs> we were we were having very strong opinions about it, which is not good for like right before you record well, a look, podcast. It's not something that's ever going to make anybody happy, of course, right? Like that's right. not nobody wants to pay extra to reserve a site. Nobody likes to be nickeled and dime. But the reason they do it, so this is not me justifying it or saying that I like it, but the reason they do that is, it, yes, it's to make more money, but not in the way you think. 
it's in order to maximize site usage. Because if we all go pick whatever site we want, and site A is being used Monday through Thursday, site B is being used Thursday through Sunday, and then somebody else wants to come in and book Wednesday through Friday. They can't book either one of those sites, right? right? So if a campground is able to just stack reservations on top of each other and puzzle piece them where they fit, they can better maximize the efficiency of their campground in order to get more people into that campground and get more people the full reservation window that they want. I absolutely see the appeal of that. I almost call it like the Fort Wilderness effect. Yeah, because that's, that's, that's how Fort, actually for Fort Wilderness, you can't, and a lot of campgrounds, a lot of big fancy private campgrounds mm -hmm. like that, they say, okay, all of our sites are really nice. You cannot pick pick a specific one. We're going to put you where we put you. One is not better than the other. Uh, the problem or what becomes frustrating for people is if you are a group and you would like to be together, then, you know, some campgrounds will ask you to pay more a fee in order to put you all next to one another. And I can understand where that is frustrating because when this is happening, these are happening at RV campgrounds where you're already paying 65, 70, 85 in the case of Fort Wilderness, 120 to $130 a night. So you already feel like you're stretched in regards to a camping nightly fee. And then now they want another $20 from you per site in order to ensure that your family can all camp mm -hmm. together. I can see how frustrating that is. And that was kind of the place that I was coming from. Well, and it's one it's one way to one way to look at it is yes, they're charging you more to pick a specific spot. Another way to look at it is they're charging you less to not pick a specific spot. And yeah. if I were a campground, that's how I would that's how I would do it. I would I would it's the same exact thing. I would just say the campground is this price mm -hmm. instead of saying and it costs you extra to reserve a site. I would say and you get a discount to not reserve a specific site. So maybe what it could be is, and this, I, again, I'm going to go back to the Disney effect. So on one of our Disney trips back in 2015, you had made that reservation. And, you know, again, we were staying on site. We weren't uh, in our RV. We were staying in a resort and we had our reservation. And I remember that you had filled out sort of a special request. Mm-hmm. You know, we're coming and, and this is a special request. And they they say you can do those, but they can't guarantee right. them. And but you don't know until you get there. You don't know until you get there. <laughs> but if it happens to fall at the time that you're getting there, that they can accommodate that, it's at no extra charge to you. Yeah. So no, maybe I, there's maybe that's the middle ground. I maybe, would imagine a lot of these campgrounds are willing to take those requests. Yeah. I want to be next to my friend. Yeah. That can, sort of thing. If it works out, we would really appreciate it if we could be in sites close to each other or next to each other. And then there's no extra money involved. And everyone knows that it's an expectation that if it can be met, will be met. And if it can't, it won't be met. But since you mentioned hotels, I mean, that's that's the thing that hotels get to do. They get to put you in whatever room mm -hmm. makes sense. They don't they don't put you into a specific room when you make that original reservation. They'll allow you to request that, yeah. though. Uh, you know, in your reservation, you can say, you know, is there anything specific you need? And you could say, I'd really like to be on the first floor. Right. And if they can make that happen, they will. But camping, obviously, if the sites aren't all the same... People are people really want to look at the campsite and decide if that that campsite's yeah. good because people have had horrible experiences being in bad campsites. I totally get that. Yeah. That, but so I think what a lot of campgrounds have realized, a lot of these campgrounds that were just booking people in whatever site that they were assigning sites to people, they've realized that a lot of people want to pick a specific site and aren't going to book their campground unless they can. So they've come up with a solution. You pay a little bit more and you get to pick a specific site. So I, I, I see it from the campground owner's yeah. side. I see the frustration from the person booking it side. But but realize, it. I think, in this era where campground availability is a problem, I think we're going to see more campgrounds using systems where you don't get to select your specific site. 
Yeah. And, you know, the more we've talked about this, the more I, the more maybe. I've my- convinced you. You've come around. Oh. You've, you've come around the bend. I didn't want to say that. <laughs> you, you don't you don't want to say the words, I'm right? Did, I don't. Those are, my mouth feels stuck. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> okay. We are coming to you from Chattanooga, Tennessee this week. Uh, lovely, beautiful weather here. We're very excited to be is here it, for a bit. Jason, it, you, is I, it lovely, beautiful weather? It is right now. Well, right now. <laughs> tomorrow, we get to enjoy yet again, which is this time of year. This is just what happens. We have a round of severe Look, I love, storms. I love rain and storms as long as they're no tornadoes involved well that's not what you're getting tomorrow so (laughs) all right we're getting storms that have the potential to produce tornadoes they have the potential to produce hail i'm telling you if hail touches that truck i'm gonna lose it and i don't even it's so funny get those things that like it's they have those things that are uh they're, they're, when there's hail, it's like an instant blow up. It's like an yes. airbag that totally yes. envelops your vehicle when there's hail. It's really disconcerting to me how much I like this truck. <laughs> I just want it known that this was never something I ever envisioned in my life that I, I would enjoy or care about. But hey, Ford, you've won me over. I had a smooth ride today over to that Target where I got lost for three hours. Didn't know I'd been there that long. We're going to take a break. And uh, (laughs) we're going to come back with the answer to last week's brain teaser. And then we're going to have a great interview with Jack Johnson from Volta Power Systems and a whole lot more. We'll be right back. Electrical surge protection is one of the cheapest insurance policies you can provide for your RV. And the Power Watchdog Smart Surge Protector, made by Hughes Autoformers, beats the competition with field-replaceable surge modules. With other brands, when the surge protector takes a large surge or a spike, you have to throw it away. The Power Watchdog can be brought back to life with one small, affordable part you can replace yourself. It's the last surge protector you need to buy. Use the coupon code RVMILES, all one word, for 10% off your order at Hughes. HughesAutoformers.com. That's code RV Miles for 10% off at HughesAutoformers.com. Outdoor enthusiasts of all stripes will enjoy Pelican gear on their adventures. Hard sided Pelican Elite coolers are all made in America and are available in a wide number of sizes. Get a 20 quart for short day trips, a 50 quart for week long adventures, or a wheeled 45 quart to keep the fun rolling along. Pelican backs all their hard-sided coolers with a lifetime warranty, too. RV Miles listeners can get a free day venture tumbler when they visit EliteCooler.com slash RV Miles and spend over $100. It's time for the answer to last week's brain teaser, which went like this. Saturday and Sunday, I am big. Tuesday through Thursday, I am small. Monday and Friday, I am non-existent. What am I? The answer is the letter S. Saturday and Sunday have capital letter S. Tuesday through Thursday have small S's in them or lowercase, whatever you prefer. And <laughs> Monday and Friday do not have the letter S in them. I think we call them little letters at our house. <laughs> we'll have a new brain teaser later on in the show. But now it is time uh, to talk with Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson is the uh, founder of Volta Power Systems. And Jack's not here to sell us anything. This is what I loved about this interview so much and why we have, uh, we're splitting it between two episodes. So half of it will be on this week's episode and half next week. Uh, Volta makes high-end power systems for RVs. They sell directly to the manufacturer. Um, So you'll see them in Winnebago's and other brands. And uh, these are like the top-notch lithium power systems and they're getting better and better and bigger and bigger. And these are, they sell nothing that you, the consumer can buy, which, so what's great about that is that Jack is here to offer us some unbiased opinions and, and let us know about on this week's episode, lithium ion batteries. We're going to talk about all the different types of lithium ion batteries because there are different types and why you can't just go grab one from the store and throw it in your RV next week. We're going to talk with Jack about the future of RV power systems. So uh, stay tuned for that next week as well. But here is Jack Johnson talking with me about lithium ion battery power systems. Hi, folks. Just a quick note as I'm editing this episode. 
the audio quality of this interview isn't quite up to snuff. I made a goof and recorded my voice through my laptop instead of my microphone. So you'll get to hear the lovely rainstorm behind the muffled sound of my voice. I hope you'll give it a listen anyway, as Jack has some great stuff to say. Thanks. Jack, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Jason. It's great to be here. I want to start with a touchstone of of something people sort of understand, but um, maybe don't fully grasp. And that's lithium batteries. We've all uh, been dealing with bat- batteries in RVs for, for decades, and they've all been these big lead acid, uh, mostly wet cell batteries. And now we're all hearing about lithium. A lot of RVers have lithium batteries and we're hearing it's better. We know it's more expensive by a lot. What does the customer need to know about lithium batteries? Is it as simple as we should all just be buying lithium batteries instead of these lead acid batteries? Or is there a lot more to it than that? Wow. Um, there is a lot more to it. I mean, we, every, <laughs> I mean, I understand that everybody wants the world to be simpler and uh, it always ends up being more complicated. But the way I like to help folks quickly think about, you know, okay, cars, they've been, they grew up with cars and they all know the difference between horsepower, torque. They know that a V8 from a Chevrolet and a V8 from a Ferrari might be different. They understand that the engine and a weed eater that you get off the shelf at your local store might not have the same life characteristics as the engine that you have every day. Um, But the challenge with lithium ion is it's all new and people don't know the difference. Like they know all these other products and the reality is it's not really that scary. It's just a whole bunch of new stuff. That's very similar to the way we've always thought, but it's taken time for the knowledge to get into our, you know, our societal genome, you know, it takes time to filter in. I think some of the biggest things that people don't realize is, and that's my favorite to talk about is lithium ion isn't the chemistry. Um, and people go, why? Um, like, no, lithium ion is just summary reward. Like I like to say similar to fuel. Um, you know, if we had this podcast and we talk about some great tech and, you know, fuel's great and just the fuel in it. And, you know, most listeners would go, what the, are they talking about? Well, with lithium ion, for some reason, when they decided to market it back in the 90s, they decided to call it, they broke away from lead acid or nickel metal hydride as the, the terminology. And they decided to name it after the unique function of how ions travel instead of the, the chemistry. And I think that confuses a lot of people what they're buying. And currently, I know of seven commercially available lithium ion chemistries. And within each chemistry, there's hundreds, if not thousands of ways you can build it. So like building engines with different fuels, uh, there's all these options and people go, it's all lithium ion. And, and it's like, nope, it's totally different. Sorry. <laughs> so the so the commercially available lithium ion batteries are not just slightly different versions of each other at all. No, they're radically different. So it goes back to, hey, am I going to mow the lawn and I'm going to only need power for a certain amount of time and I only expect the product for last a certain amount of time? So think um, think about a lithium-ion battery for a laptop or a cell phone. Um, different footprint, different use case, and just by happenstance, they don't want it to last longer than three years, right? The product replacement plan is three years. Um, why do I have a battery pack that's going to last 20 years? I don't need that. Um, you can think about use case of uh, there's a lot of requests for like regeneration, meaning if you break really hard, can I save that energy and put it back in the battery pack? Well, to put that much energy back into a device that fast, you got to have certain characteristics. Some chemistries can do it. Some can't. Some want really high power. So if you're like a drag racer or you like to do Tesla, what's the Tesla uh, mode? Uh, Ludicrous. It's called Ludicrous mode, right? Well, okay. That particular chemistry can dump a lot of power really quick and you've got to know what unique characteristics the chemistry does and how to control it just like we know how to design a high performance engine how to program it how to how to deliver fuel right all those things are done by engineers that match the performance characteristics to the need of the consumer and the challenge for consumer is is they're going all i hear is it's called lithium ion i gotta have it and but they don't get any of the underlying uh, information yet it's happening, but it's slow. 
what should a customer be looking for when they're first trying to figure out an upgrade of their power system or or they're shopping for an RVs and, and, and looking at uh, the power systems in them and deciding on you know, they want to go lithium. How do they make that decision? How do they how do they get from point A of what the manufacturers are offering? How do they start to navigate that? Um, the things I, I like to help explain the first off is just try to understand as a consumer, right? We want a good return for investment. We want it to be safe. Um, but the most important, it's our hard-earned money, and we want to say, "Hey, am I not? Am I getting a product that's it's the right for me?" But you need to know the basics, and the basics of energy over time, um, for the last hundred years, have been sold in a term called amp hours. And it's kind of funny because if you're selling a product to somebody, um, you need to have something to differentiate yourself. Well, everybody sold a product that was 12 volts for hundred years. So they decided to compete on using the word amp hours. And, and uh, on people, RVers, have learned that, okay, the difference of batteries is called an amp hour. And I might not know what an amp hour is, but I know what it does. And that means I have more runtime with a bigger amp hour. But what that's done is that's left confusion for folks, and they don't understand what they're paying for, because what they're actually paying for is called watts or watt hours. And, and the industry says, hey, you're going to pay – your, your investment is a function of how many watt hours or how long you can run is really what you're buying. And power that we all care about is the volts that you put into it times the capacity, which is amp hours. So volts times amp hours is your total capacity of something. And if you know how to do that, one, it's like saying, I got a certain gallon in a gas tank and I pull a certain rate per hour. So if you know you burn a half a gallon an hour on your generator and you've got 10 gallons of fuel, you know how long you can run, right? Um, most RVers understand that. But these funny terms called amp hours and watt hours are kind of magical right now. But it, I like to tell folks, hey, it's no different than what you think about today with fuel. So if you've got a 10 gallon gas tank and you know how fast you're burning your energy, that tells you how long you can run. And if you can figure that basic part out and we can get that education to folks, then they go out and they shop it. So they say, what do I want to run and how long do I want to run it? And my favorite is um, I like to talk I, when I get to talk to folks. Um, one of the first things I ask if there's a lot of ladies in the audience, I'd say, OK, I tell you what, guys, the ladies are going to be smarter than you right off the bat. And they're like, oh, and I'm like, well, let me, let me show you. And I say, hey, ladies, tell me what size hairdryer you have. And the guys are like, you know, and the ladies are first one, I've got a 1500 watt. I got an 1800 watt and they know it's a watt and they know 1800 and they know the bigger one dries their hair. And it's great because they're talking in watts. And you think about that, that's almost two horsepower. So like one watt or sorry, one horsepower is 746 watts. So it takes two horsepower to drive your wife's hair. If you're going to run that for 10 hours, all right. You need two house horsepower for 10 hours, 20 horsepower over time, right? So once you can do the basics, like understanding how energy is consumed and what you pay for it, then people can make really good decisions on life. You know, is this thing going to get me the, the extra value I want? Because what most people are asking for is I want to run longer, right? I don't want the weight and they want more power. If you can get through the basics, that's going to help people make better decisions get them what they're looking for, and of course, be able to make good decisions financially. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to name brands, but there's, is there any certain type of lithium technology that the people or chemistry or however you put it, that people should be avoiding? Well, I mean, the big chemistries I think of, the one that uh, you, won't, you won't see them for sale, there's a chemistry that, um, remember back in early 2000s, the Sanyo, uh, battery fires and laptops, and everybody got excited. Yeah, this first time they really thought about lithium ion, heard of this thing. Uh, that's a chemistry called um, LCO, lithium car uh, um, lithium cobalt oxide, just straight LCO. Um, and that was a chemistry that has really high energy density, so you can stick a lot of energy in a little space. It was first to come out in large volume, but it had a um, 
a tendency over time to develop uh, what they call dendrites or replace a way that it can short the battery internally. And that's what created overuse um, those bad scenarios people saw. Uh, mostly that technology is only used in high power applications and like drones, um, you know, product that doesn't design to last a long time, but needs a lot of high power. Um, those are generally not going into coaches. Um, the technologies that are available in the marketplace right now are generally really, really safe, right? Uh, there's two chemistries, and you know, there's uh, the most common you'll hear is called lithium iron phosphate um, or LiPo or LIFE. That's almost 85, 90% of the consum consumer world market. You know, the RV industry, low volume market is that stuff. Um, for the most part, it's good. What's important that you need to do is make sure that you're not getting a counterfeit product. There's a lot of counterfeit items out there. There's a lot of strange supply chains that you don't know where they're coming from. Um, put them in a box and then try to sell it to you. You need to be very careful that stuff because that, you know, you might have three, 400 cells in one, one box and, you know, a couple bad cells out of that whole box ruins your box. Um, you you got to understand where you're buying from. But as long as you buy from a reputable source with a good warranty, you're going to have good luck. Uh, the other chemistries that's prevailing in the automotive world is called NMC, or if you're from Europe, NCM. Um, it's basically nickel manganese cobalt against graphite. Um, it was developed at Argonne National Labs in Chicago back in uh, the early 2000s. So it developed here, just like lithium iron phosphate actually developed, uh, I think, U of M. Um, sometime um, in that time frame as well, both technologies great for their applications. Uh, NMC has the advantage of about two times more energy density and um, great performance characteristics. Easier to measure, easier to manage. Um, and you know, the, the again, the big trick for automotive is they need a lot of energy in a small space to be able to make cars work. Um, and that's what's mostly what you'd see in any hybrid electric or electric vehicle today. If somebody is looking to implement lithium into their RV system, are there things that they need to think about separate from the battery itself in terms of like their, their converter and their wiring and all that sort of stuff? Is it easy? Is it as easy as plug and play and dropping in a battery? Or is there a lot more that goes into it than that? The thing about batteries, especially with my own batteries, is they have a lot of energy. And if you don't keep them in the right work zone, you know, they don't stay within where their happy spot is. That's where you could have the bad things happen. Um, so to govern a lithium ion, to make it work, just like we would think about an engine, right? We, we got to keep your engine between certain RPM limits, right? We have to keep the engine within certain te temperature limits, right? If we overheat an engine, bad things happen. Lithium ions the same way. It's much, it's got a lot more performance to lead acid. It's got a lot, you know, it is just, there's more energy there. So you got to manage it differently. And that means a good lithium ion battery is going to have some sort of control system. It's going to, what in the industry calls a battery monitoring system, a BMS or a BMU, a battery monitoring unit. But it's very similar to the computer that monitors and runs your, your car engine. Um, if you don't, if you don't know what you're doing, and you try to stick it into an uh, existing solution, one is the voltages are gonna be off. And um, what's really interesting is, you know, a standard alternator would be trying to charge this thing. And you could you could either burn your alternator up, you might run into a situation that you actually overcharge the battery. And then all of a sudden the battery will start turning off. Most good batteries, lithium ion, have the ability to separate themselves. Meaning, where normally you just have posts on your lead acid battery and it's always live, on a uh, good quality lithium ion battery system, it's going to have what we call a contactor. This contactor has intelligence behind it saying, hey, you're putting me in a bad position. I don't like it. I'm going to turn off now. And if you haven't properly thought about what happens when you break power under load, many people have experienced that as an RVer, you know, don't unplug from shore power when you're powering the air conditioner, right? You, you probably have all heard that, you know, shut everything down correctly because that's, when you just separate power very quickly, that's called a load dump. And bad things happen where you induce a bunch of high voltage into your system and you break electronic components. Um, and that's the biggest problem that I usually see is people get into this. They bring with them assumptions of lead acid batteries, start putting together a system, and then they get themselves in trouble because 
what I like to tell folks is I don't even like using the word battery. I like to always talk. It's an energy system. I, I try to stay away from the word as much as I can because there's too many preconceived concepts of how it should work based on how it does work. And that's what creates a lot of confusion and a lot of expense and a lot of unhappy people when they try it on their own. Um, they have to learn those lessons the hard way. I think what we're learning here is that you either need to learn a lot about this or have a professional do it for you. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, and probably more people should be having a professional do it than, than are. But um, what are, what are some of the components that, that go into a, a lithium battery system? That's going to be like a lot like how do you design the best engine? There's a lot of opinions, but there's some fundamentals, right? An engine's got crankshaft, pistons, rods. You know, you can have a carburetor versus fuel injection, right? There's a lot of options there. Kind of thing, same thing goes. But my perspective as an engineer, the first thing you want is a very, very capable BMS, a battery control system. And that's going to be able to make sure you've got your high voltage, low voltage set limits. You want temperature, high temperature and low temperature set limits. Uh, you need a really good, what they call a shunt, a power shunt, which is basically a flow meter for electrons. You're trying to count what's called a Coulomb, and that's a certain amount of uh, electrons, the same as uh, liters per minute, right? If you're trying to count a flow rate, and you got to be able to measure that effectively so that you know the difference between a full tank, a full charged battery, and a fully discharged battery. That way you can measure what's in your battery. If you got those basics, then you can start on, okay, what are my, um, there's things called balancing, balance controls. You can't have one battery um, overly charged from another battery. So if you've got one battery that's full and another one that's low, I always like to tell people, hey, think about that old school ice tray. You know, you pull your ice tray out and you're going to fill the water and you're going to make ice cubes and they've got the little grooves in them. Well, the full one is going to try to flow the water to the little one, right? They're going to try to balance themselves out. Well, if you got too much of a delta difference between the two, you're going to get high power flow to that lower cell. And that's where you're going to create heat. You'd have problems. You could create, that's where, you know, you could overheat a system. You could, you've, I've seen the, the plastic battery cases get melted because they get so hot uh, from things like that happening. You know, we're just scratching the surface. Um, those are the basics you want to see for just controlling the battery. And then you got to get, start talking about how you're talking to and controlling the alternator or the charging devices. You got to make sure that the charge coming back from an inverter is set to the manufacturer's requirements. So here's a, here's a thing that'll blow people's mind. Even if you got a, one lithium iron phosphate to another lithium iron phosphate battery, two different brands, they generally are going to have their own specific charge uh, requirements and there's a whole bunch of things around charge requirements and it and it just goes from there where do you stop <laughs> because it can go all these details i think that those would be the main things you'd want to look for control safety disconnection and then how are you going to control your peripheral devices if i break it down in those three levels what are some of the other benefits and the the things that might not be so great about lithium the other benefits are they're smaller and they're lighter. Um, that means you can put more power on board than you normally had. So if you think about, you know, you can, with the technology we work with NMC, you can do six, roughly six times the amount of energy in the same space. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Um, life, I think life is the big, th the big thing that gets you. Cause if you look at total lifetime cost, um, you will actually save money over time because you're not replacing those batteries. And the nice thing is you're using them. I think one of the things that people, and I see a lot of is um, the old adage of lead acid, if you use them, you lose them. Um, because everybody's afraid of over discharging them, right? You're only supposed to go, what, 50% on a lead acid? And there's no controls on that. So people would always over discharge them and they get a year. Yeah, the, all the battery meters say one third, two thirds and full. And I've, I've never understood that met the methodology of that for, for Water tanks as well. What the difference between one third and two third is is so huge. <laughs> it's exactly. very confusing. It is very confusing. And why do we make it so confusing? Who knows? Uh, there's so much that we go unbaked from that. But 
they really didn't have the cost structures really to put them into it, right? Because lead acids were used to always be cheap. So we developed really low cost systems to meet that expectation of a, of a very low cost injury. Like I said, somebody's only going to use it 20 days a year. Well, okay, if they only get a year of batteries, boom, you're going to throw them out. And that's, I think that drove a lot of that process, you know, that thought process over the years. Now, when you talk this stuff, um, we're talking, you know, our stuff is designed to replace engines. So now you're equipping coaches with technology that's designed to re- drive a car, right? So it's be the same of like, I'm putting a LS V8 swap in my trailer to run my appliances. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but that's the level of stuff we're talking about. But these are for, for folks that are, most of our folks are living, living in their vehicles now. And that's what people want is the ability to go off grid, but have the power like they're on grid. And that's really me. We'll have the second half of my interview with Jack Johnson on next week's episode of the podcast, where we'll talk about the future of RV electrical systems and the work Volta Power Systems is doing to make it a reality. RV Repair Club is an online resource for those who want quality maintenance, repair, and upgrade information. Sign up for premium membership with the exclusive offer for RV Miles listeners and get a full year of RV Repair Club for only $3. That's 96% off the normal price. Visit go.rvrepairclub.com slash rvmiles. We'll put a link to that in the episode description in the show notes to sign up. You'll get access to hundreds of full-length instructional videos from RV experts. Sign up for RV Repair Club Premium Membership now for just $3 for the entire year at go.rvrepairclub.com slash RV miles. A good first aid kit is essential whether you're a full-time RVer, a weekend warrior, or just out for a hike with the family. An RV miles favorite, My Medic, offers comprehensive care for whatever life throws at you, from the tiny little scratch to severe trauma. We carry the MyFac Advanced, which offers 100 quality first aid and trauma supplies and can easily attach to the seat of our truck or a backpack. Get your life-saving kit today and save 25% when you visit MyMedic.com and use the code RV25 at checkout, RV25. That's MyMedic.com for 25% off with the code RV25. We'll also provide a link in this week's show notes. It's time to check the level of our tanks. Abby, what is in your black tank this week? So my black tank this week is a little bit more of a gray tank, and my gray tank goes to Eastern Standard Time, <laughs> which we are currently you on. You hate Eastern Time, don't you? Don't I don't hate. Hate is such a strong word, but this is probably every- You were dreading it the whole- We're driving yes. up here- and you knew that it was go- that the time zone was going to change in our drive at some yes. point, and you were just dreading the moment it would happy. change from the drive. And I'm like, I'm just like pretend it's central. No, <laughs> you can't do that. See, we can't do that. We're going to be here for too long to pretend like okay. we're still on central. This is the thing. We've jumped all the time zones in the last five years we've been on the road. There is something about EST that is just so hard to get used to. I said to you today when I called you and I said, there is no way it is one o'clock in the afternoon and I am coming out of Target. I said, I just walked in here and it was like 1030. How did this happen? This is the thing. I don't know how this happens, but everyone is a mess. Everyone is a mess. The kids are a mess trying to adjust to this. I just get up later and go to bed later. Well, that is very normal for you, though. I, for me, this morning, I woke up and it was nine o'clock, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, I don't sleep." Till we're nine. just, we're just, we should just operate off of Greenwich Mean Time. I just do that. Sure, but there is just something about Eastern Standard Time that has been very difficult in the last forty-eight hours for this family to adjust to. I mean, already we're sitting here and it's five o'clock in the afternoon and it feels like it's two o'clock. It does, it really does. It really does. Yeah. You know, we're because we've also had, you know, we've sprung forward, we now are not getting dark in this area until eight o'clock. So that's everything is just kind of working against us right now. I feel like I'm just chasing the clock and I completely blame Eastern Standard Time for that. Although I love all of the places that call Eastern Standard Time their time zone. 
That's why it's a gray tank and I won't black tank it. All right. What's in your fresh tank this week? So my fresh tank this week is a really great story out of St. Louis. There is an ER doctor who, after a year of pretty much living in her RV in her driveway, has returned home now. She's an ER doctor who was dealing with COVID in the area and chose to use her RV as a safe space. And she's now reached a point, and we have reached a point with this pandemic, where this ER doctor feels that it is safe for her to return home. Well, she got vaccinated. She did. And her husband got vaccinated, Dr. Tiffany Osborne, and she bought her RV when the pandemic began, and she was living in it. In her driveway. Yeah, and she was doing something where she'd have three weeks of rotation. She'd work three weeks solid, then she'd quarantine, and then she'd have some time with her family before she would go back and start this again. And reading this, and then when you shared this with me, I just think it's a really great reminder that we've all had, whether we've wanted to or not, we've all had to make sacrifices in the last year in order to deal with this world that we're living in. But there are some who have made incredible sacrifices, our essential workers. And I think what tugged at me was just as a mother, to, to have three straight weeks where I couldn't hug one of my kids, I couldn't hug my spouse, I couldn't just interact in that way that you take for granted on the, the day-to-day basis. So I just, I'm fresh tanking because I'm just very happy for this particular ER doctor who has reached a place now with her vaccine that she can go home and, and be with and her family. And it's an incredibly common story. Lots of ER doctors and nurses have been living in RVs in their driveways. Yeah, and I also think it's just a wonderful testament to how great an RV can be. And I'm glad that she was able to get one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Jay, what is your black tank this week? Okay, look. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> there, there have been, as people prep for the camping season here, a, a lot of the a, a lot of the forums and Facebook groups, there have been a lot of people asking about RV gray water. And where is okay to dump it? And can they just let it go on the ground? And the number of people who think it is okay to just dump your RV gray water on the ground wherever you are blows my mind. Can we point out, too, that the advice about that, that it's okay to dump wherever is not coming from those newbies out there. Yeah, let's stop blaming the newbies. The newbies are asking the questions. Yes, the very seasoned are seasoned in parentheses or in quotation marks. I mean, I'm in. Look, I, I, there is, excuse the pun. There is a little gray area <laughs> to this. I and I, I get that truck campers and pop up and pop up campers. A lot of them don't even have a gray tank, and they just drain on the ground uh, as they are built but most of those don't have showers in them and and there yes people can use their outdoor showers and gray water goes on the ground on the ground yes camp uh temp campers can wash their dishes outside and that gray water is going on the ground although they're supposed to filter out the food bits and throw them in the trash but when we're talking about rvs with 40 80 120 gallon tanks could you imagine if we just opened up our 40 gallon gray tank and 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 just let it go a lot of these people are doing this in campgrounds that don't have sewer hookups Mm. and that is i mean you're attracting bugs and rats and stuff when you do that literally they're to me the gray water sometimes is every bit as gross if not more than the black water it smells so bad sometimes uh, because your food bits are in it and and legally okay hold up though if well, i, had I to mean pick like if i had two, a, okay if i was going to put my hand in one or the other it's going to be you. the gray okay. water okay thank you i just i felt like but we in, needed in, ter- to... in terms of smell in terms of smell sure. sometimes the sometimes the gray water is more pungent but sure. here's legally in a lot of areas RV gray water is not actually gray water for for a couple reasons. One, it has sink water in it, kitchen sink water, and kitchen sink water is generally not considered gray water. It's considered black because of those food particles. And, you know, getting our human food out in the middle of nature is not a good thing. Uh, Secondly, it's generally the drain that, that it goes through 
the drains on your your RV that go into your sewer hose connection, it's one pipe, right? So that gray water is going through the same pipe that the black water goes through. Mm. The third thing is that if you are altering the landscape with your water, meaning you're making uh, dirt runoff and, and mud and stuff like that, that is a that is a different law in a lot of places. So, but look. I think, are there times when it's going to be okay a little bit here and there for the right type of RV and it's just like your shower water? Maybe. But if we're encouraging everybody that's in an RV to dump their gray water on the ground, that's going to be, that's the quickest way public lands get shut down. Boom. Yeah. I think that like everything in life, there's no such thing as an absolute, you know, you just can't say, no, you never do it. But I do believe that if you are staying somewhere, that has a dump station. They are providing that for a reason. <laughs> if you, if okay? you just can't go up to the dump station, you're like, no, I'm just letting my gray water trickle yes. on the ground in a campground. <sighs> we can't be friends. Like, that's, that just can't. Don't do that. Just, just, yeah. Just do that. They provided you with a dump station, and I think if we all use it, then we get to keep our campgrounds nicer longer and they get to stay open. And if you run across anyone asking this question, maybe just the best answer is let's not do that. I want to make one more quick point about, uh, about this. First of all, this is, this is, I think the number one myth about public lands listed on leave no traces website. We've mentioned this that, actually that can, recently. Yes. That you can dump your gray water, but they say that actually biodegradable soaps, you might think that biodegradable soaps are okay to use. And they say that biodegradable soaps require very specific soil conditions to break down. And that if you are, if you're, say you're bathing in a lake or something, um, they, they suggest that you use just water and no soap. So that's just another reason because you, you, you don't want all of that soap from your RV going into the ground as well. Well, maybe we can put it this way and we'll move on. If someone was staying at your house and they used 40 gallons of gray water in their RV, would you want them to open it up and dump it all over your lawn or yeah. your driveway well, before I, they I, leave? I see, say, I see people saying, well, it's no different than washing your car. Well, yes, it is. First of all, <laughs> you're washing your car in your driveway. Generally, that's yes. going into a storm drain somewhere. But, but secondly, the you're doing that on a very rare basis and thirdly it doesn't contain that sink water with your food in it well i think we need to move on okay but it on. does smack of a cousin eddie and let's not be cousin eddie yes All what right. is your fresh tank this week <laughs> this is a story that pam shared with us in the in the rv miles facebook group and i'm so glad she did because it's it's a real feel-good story about america and uh and about some of our our heroes but it also involves an rv Shortly after the September 11th attacks, an American flag and a Texas flag were gifted to Chris Heiser by the Texas House of Representatives. A handwritten note thanked Chris for his philanthropic efforts with the first responders while working in the energy industry. Like many Americans, Heisler felt compelled to take action. And during a horrific time for the United States and with these flags in tow, he set out for ground zero to honor the heroes and survivors of 9-11. Along the way, he helped to organize the nation's largest convoy of first responders in the history of the U.S., bound for ground zero, bringing many tokens of support together with other agencies to our nation's heroes. Heisler attended the Port Authority New York, New Jersey Memorial and Wake in New Jersey. During the wake, police officers and firefighters ripped off their shoulder patches and left them behind for the survivors. Heisler was inspired to leave something behind for the survivors as well, so he went to his vehicle and grabbed the two flags. He returned to the wake and placed the flags on a table. Heisler was approached by a survivor of one of the Port Authority officers. The survivor told him that her husband was vaporized in the 9-11 attacks, her words. The survivor challenged Heisler to keep the American flag and told him the spirit of patriotism would go away and, and people would forget. Heisler told the survivor that we Americans can never forget about the sacrifice of the heroes. So he left the Texas flag behind for the survivors and returned to Texas with the American flag and a commitment to do something for his country. At 34 years of age, Heisler joined the U.S. Army in 2003 and took his American flag to the battlegrounds of Iraq and Afghanistan and returned home to Texas in 2004 after being injured in Iraq. 
On September 11, 2007, the American flag flew above the Texas state capitol, and it started to gain some media attention. That same year, the flag was requested for the services of the heroes who died in Odessa, Texas. The American flag flew aboard Southwest Airlines from Austin to Odessa to honor those heroes. The American flag arrived in Odessa and was treated with an incredible sense of reverence and honor. And since the tragedy in Odessa, Texas, the flag has been named the U.S. Honor Flag, and it's been on move around the country honoring American heroes since. And it's uh, it traveled from 2007 to 2011 via American Airlines with strict protocols in place for the security and integrity of the flag. Um, but now it travels around in a grand design momentum 395M called Inspiration One, which is now the home of Chris, Cindy, and their two pets, Major and Tater Tot. <laughs> it's the official transport vehicle of the U.S. Honor Flag. It is the, the Honor Flag has now traveled over 7 million miles by ground, air, and it was even on NASA's last space shuttle mission. It has custom gloves to handle it, and it, the RV, the, the, the Grand Design RV is decked out with a big wrap of the American flag, and Pam shared uh, photos of it as well in her post in the Facebook group. It's, it's, uh, it's a really beautiful, wonderful thing, and it's just a reminder that RVs aren't just about us camping. You know, that's part of it. But people use these for lots of different reasons, and I think from your story about the doctor and from this story like there's the these are sometimes tools for really really special things and uh i just thought that was a really great story to share that's pretty cool i didn't know that and so thank you pam all right let's wrap this episode up with the brain teaser <laughs> on that note uh it's it's not gonna it's not gonna live up to that story i'll get i'll give you that <laughs> glenn and steve took turns driving on an rv trip to boston and back glenn drove the first 40 miles and steve drove the rest of the way to boston on the way back glenn started to drive and then steve drove the last 50 miles which of the two drove more and how much more did he drive I really wanted this to say, and which one was going to pocket? <laughs> which one will pocket? pocket. Just pocket. <laughs> really, Best commercial ever. Just a great commercial, and I really wanted that to end that way. We'll have the answer to that and a whole lot more on next week's episode of the RV Miles podcast. Yes, we will. And hey, once again, if you are enjoying RV Miles, would you please do us a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts? and leave RV Miles a five-star review. Thank you to so many of you who have already gone over and done that. We absolutely love reading your feedback and reading what you have to say about the show. It's another really great way to connect with you. So thank you in advance. If you would like to continue to connect with Jason and I beyond the RV Miles podcast, please come over to the RV Miles Facebook group. It's a fantastic group of people where we just talk about things that make us happy, like RVing and camping and not dumping our gray water at our campsite. RV Miles is all across social media as well. We are on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. Until next week, thank you so much for joining us. Be well, enjoy your travels, and keep logging those RV Miles. Bye, everybody. <laughs>